And so we really are praying for peace. And yet we have to realize that just like we have the Prince of Peace, our Messiah who's coming, we also have the one who is the ruler of this world who is so against peace, who is completely promoting chaos and who comes to kill, steal and destroy. Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Aaron Nicholson. I'm with Pastor Jesse Randolph. We're pastors at Indian Hills Community Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. And today, we are talking about Israel. And we have Dr. Tim Sigler here from Ariel Ministries. Ariel Ministries provides biblical teaching from a Messianic Jewish perspective. And Dr. Sigler, we are so glad you are here today to give us some biblical insights on Israel and the Middle East. Thank you for being here. Hey, what a privilege to be with you. Wonderful. Well, the first question I have for you, Dr. Sigler, uh, please help us understand the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict a bit better. Why are these two nations at war, and what is at the root of this war? How far back does it go? Well, I knew that you might be asking that question, and I did a quick search online because, of course, that's the source of all truth. And (laughs) it was fascinating to me to note that the majority opinion or the top hits that come back often begin with Israel's occupation, uh, that this began when foreign imports came from Europe and uh, elsewhere Jewish immigration to Palestine began to tick up toward the end of the 1800s and early 1900s, and this is where the conflict began. And I think nothing could be further from the truth. So often it's an error of history uh, to make this claim that the Jewish people are foreign occupiers in Palestine. It might be most helpful to acknowledge the fact that when people begin excavating and and looking down in the ground to see the history of this land, uh, we don't see evidence of some Palestinian or so-called Palestinian history. Uh, we see Jewish artifacts and Hebrew texts. I mean, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and other famous artifacts that have been discovered throughout this land. So there has been an ongoing Jewish history even during the times of the diaspora, after the Roman destruction of the temple and the dispersion of many Jewish people, there's been an ongoing Jewish presence through, uh, we'll say, uh, after the destruction of the temple and and through the Byzantine era, uh, through the medieval period, and uh, up through more recent history. There was a large influx of Jewish immigration as persecution of the Jewish people took place throughout Europe, the area today known as Russia, and so forth. But uh, really, we could say this era of conflict was more of an Arab-Israeli conflict, and then it became intensified as more of a Palestinian and Israeli conflict. And that conflict begins to emerge around 1947, when there was this blip on the radar screen, a moment of sympathy for the plight of the Jewish people at the UN. And there was a desire to have a partition plan, a something like today, what has been called a two-state solution. And so there would be an Arab state and a Jewish state. And 
Of course, uh, we could look back at this history time after time when a two-state solution was offered, the Jewish people accepted, and the Arabs rejected. And this is just a fact of history that unfortunately is unacknowledged by most. Uh, the official position of the state of Israel and its governments until very recently has consistently been a peaceful resolution uh, with two states, a Jewish state and an Arab state side by side in harmony. And yet uh, when that UN partition plan was rejected in 47, Israel declared itself a state. You've got to think of the fact that there were so many people suffering as a result of the Holocaust and Jewish immigration to British Mandate Palestine was disallowed by the British. And so Israel declared its independence May 14, 1948 from the British, just like the United States did, declaring its independence from the British. And as they did, of course, just like for us in the United States, a war broke out, uh, the War of Independence. And miracle of miracles, against all odds, it's been said, Israel won its War of Independence and has been in a constant series of war against the neighboring Arab nations at times, but certainly against those closest Arab neighbors who have rejected time after time the concept and idea of a Jewish state. So this is really the origin of the conflict. That's helpful. I mean, I admire your ability to take all that history and boil it down into about a three to four minute answer because there's so much there, so much that's happened in that part of the world just in the past 80 or so years and, and certainly before that. Now, Dr. Sigler, if you'd be willing to, to take us to the present day, we know a major event happened on October 7th of 2023, uh, just this last year. And could you just give us a, a rundown of, of what's been happening in this conflict since that date? And if you want to add anything in terms of the history and how we got here into what's happened from October 7th and forward, whatever you could share on that would be very helpful. Sure. I really appreciate you asking the October 7 question because many people are just focused on the current war in Gaza. Hmm. And we can't understand why there is a war in Gaza without understanding the significance of what happened on October 7, 2023. And in trying to grapple with that, you know, we see our news feeds every day. We're looking at things that we get used to and, and feel like, well, that, yeah, that's kind of common. You could flick through the news feed and see uh, illegal southern border crossing. All right, I've seen that. Uh, missiles from Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And okay, rockets from Hamas and Gaza. Yeah. Uh, but what I often try to tell people is this, this that happened on October 7 is not that. This is not just like, oh, yeah, another headline that you see every day. This surprise attack against Israel by land, sea, and air uh, really caught the nation off guard. And Hamas operatives, and we have to note that terrorism, by the way, terrorists are almost never soldiers and military operatives. These are civilians because terrorists, that's the very nature. They're generally civilians who are somehow rallied, motivated, at times very well trained and funded, but 
it was this infiltration by land, sea, and air into towns and villages and military bases near the Gaza border where people were brutally murdered and more Jewish lives were lost on that day than on any other day since the Holocaust. And we really have to pause and let that sink in a moment. There's never been a day like it in the history of the modern state of Israel. Maybe we could add that that then leads to what do you do on an October 8th after an October 7th? And so Israel has to have some response. If you think of what happened to the U.S. on 9-11, our 9-11 in 2001, that there had never been a terrorist attack against the United States like there had been on September 11, 2001. And life afterwards really changed. There had to be a complete reset and rethinking of the vulnerability of the nation and the safety of our citizens after 9-11. And uh, that's where Israel is today. Uh, There's the military response, but there's also this need for a heightened sensitivity to the fact that these people have stated their desires for the elimination of the state of Israel. And we need to take that seriously. That's powerfully stated, uh, especially your point about, um, you know, an attack on October 7th in Israel could be compared to, you know, 9-11 here in the States uh, with the severity and just the the change. I think you said uh, more lives were lost in this attack than since the Holocaust for the Jewish nation. Yes. Uh, so that is, that is sobering and uh, appreciate you pointing that out to us. Now, along the lines of reading headlines and things we hear in the news, how can we as Christians exercise discernment when we read the news headlines about what is or what might be happening in Israel? Well, I really do think we need to listen carefully to what Hamas has said about its own aims. Uh, I recall this helpful quote about the rise and fall of the Third Reich in a book by William Shirer. He said that not every German who bought a copy of Mein Kampf necessarily read it, but it might be argued that had more non-Nazi Germans read it before 1933 and had the foreign statesmen of the world perused it carefully while there was still time, both Germany and the world might have been saved from catastrophe. And I see a real parallel there between understanding what the goals of the Third Reich would have been and understanding what Hamas has said about its own goals by simply reading its charter. And there's a helpful essay in The Atlantic that came out some time ago. It boils down the 36 articles of the Hamas charter and Bruce Hoffman puts together the four most salient themes that keep repeating themselves in these 36 articles. And he states that the goal of Hamas, according to their own documents, is, number one, complete destruction of Israel for the liberation of Palestine and the establishment of a theocratic state based on Sharia law. Number two, unrestrained and unceasing holy war, jihad, to attain the above objective. Number three, deliberate disdain for and dismissal of any negotiated resolution or political settlement of claims to the Holy Land. And number four, 
reinforcement of anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracy theories. So these are the things that you keep hearing when you read the Hamas charter, why they exist, what they want to accomplish. And I'd suggest we should really take them seriously, take them at their word like people should have done with Hitler's Mein Kampf. So on the one hand, you have what's out there in the news. You mentioned the Atlantic. You mentioned what well, we, we could see headlines all over the place. Um, some cutting it straight, maybe some being biased either way. Um, that's out there on digital media or, or, or news print media. Take us, Dr. Sigler, if you would, take our audience to, to the Bible. What, what, what does the Bible have to say about where this is all headed, uh, where it's going to go, uh, how God's going to resolve all this uh, in the end? Oh, what a pleasure to turn to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd also add, because I think I could have uh, pointed you to a couple of resources for helpful current analysis. Uh, let me offer uh, one more comment about that before we turn to the word. And that is uh, that I really appreciate Joel Rosenberg's uh, news network called All Israel. You can find it at allisraelnews.com. And I also appreciate uh, the efforts of an organization that is attempting to re-examine the top headlines of the day. It's called honestreporting.com. And you can look at these resources and, and sort of fact check, if you will, uh, to see if you're getting the straight story in the headlines from the media. And sadly, of course, often we are not. But let's move right to the scripture. I really think that we need to see that the root of the conflict is spiritual with this satanically inspired goal of thwarting God's promises to the Jewish people. We could go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and note that at the moment of uh, the curse, uh, that, that it was promised that there would be the ultimate victory of God's plan despite Satan's attempt to thwart it, that uh, God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But, of course, that wouldn't stop the serpent from continuing to bite at the heel of the seed of the woman. We have to understand that the root of this conflict is spiritual. Second, I might add that uh, the modern state of Israel has a right to exist and to defend its citizens from terrorist attacks and from hostile governments that would try to destroy them. I mean, this is uh, the goal of any government and uh, why scripture tells us that God has empowered human governments. We can uh, look at Romans 13 as a key text in the New Testament to see the value of having governments. Uh, We might question the value of our own governments at times. Uh, and we might say there's too much government. And and yet we do value the fact that, hey, there are, are roads, there are safety issues that, are, that we're benefiting from because governments exist. And yet uh, living largely in peace for most of our existence in the United States, I think it's tempting to think that well, we really don't have to concern ourselves too much about military safety. And yet, this really, uh, for those who serve in our armed forces, it's top of mind, if you will, to note that the freedoms that we enjoy 
are freedoms that have been won and freedoms that have to be consistently protected. And the Lord has given through the agency of human governments this right to defend citizens. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Sigler. I have one more question for you. As we wait for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, how should we as Christians pray for Israel, and how should we pray for those in Palestine? So as we think of how to pray, we again turn to the instruction of Scripture. I think of passages like 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so we really are praying for peace, and that's not some elusive pie-in-the-sky pipe dream sort of peace. It, it's It's what we're instructed to pray for in scripture that people on either side of this conflict could enjoy the blessing from God about even just normal relations and, and peace. And yet we have to realize that just like we have the Prince of peace, our Messiah who's coming, we also have the Prince of the power of the air, the one who is the ruler of this world, who is so against peace, who is completely promoting chaos and who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So in the midst of this, I've been encouraging people to pray as follows. I, I think about, look, if you were an Israeli whose nation had been attacked in such a brutal way like the events of October 7, and you had people taken hostage who were in immediate danger, that's probably where you'd want to start praying first. Where is the danger most intense? I'd say pray for the safe release of hostages. Secondly, I'd encourage people to pray for the safety of Jewish people globally. You realize that instead of world sympathy turning toward the Jewish people like, oh no, your citizens in Israel have been brutally attacked and uh, raped and murdered, beheaded, and so forth. No, no, no. Instead, there was this backlash against Israel as if it was Israel's fault that there was ever a conflict in the first place. And so attacks against Jewish people globally have been on the uptick. The rise of anti-Semitism, again, it's satanically inspired, this hatred of the Jewish people. So I'd encourage people to pray for the safety of Jewish people globally. Uh, third, I'd say pray for the success of the IDF as they defend Israel. It's no accident that the IDF, the Israeli army, is called the Israeli Defense Forces because they also want peace. My friends who have served in the IDF have been very clear that the majority of their training is not in terms of how to be soldiers and go out and, and fight no, the majority of their training has been on how to minimize civilian casualties, how not to fire prematurely, how to avoid the potential wrongdoing. It's really amazing the amount of training they have and, and the, the care with which they're having to do their operations in order to root out terrorism. And speaking of terrorism, I'd say, Fourthly, pray for the terrorists that 
they will turn to Jesus and do right. Wouldn't it be a blessing from the Lord if some of these terrorists could have the conviction of the Holy Spirit to see the evils that they have done and perpetrated and that they themselves would say, this is wicked. Uh, I can't believe what I've been involved in. I need to repent and turn to the living God and that they would actually release their captives. So I would also add that when people chant their commonly recited mantras like free Palestine, that we should pray that God would free Palestine from Hamas and free the Palestinian people from this satanically inspired hatred against the Jewish people. And then finally, I'd encourage people to pray that this crisis will draw many in Israel and Gaza to saving faith in Jesus. I've been hearing reports that there is great spiritual openness in the country and in the region. Uh, I remember that famous quote that there are no atheists in foxholes. Yeah, when you're seeing missiles coming your way and you know that people are trying to kill you, it does make you think about eternity a bit. And we pray that God will draw people to himself in this terrible time of crisis. Amen. Those are helpful prayer requests. Pray for the wisdom for the government. Pray for uh, safety and pray for salvation. Um, you know, when you mentioned pray for the Palestinian terrorists to become saved, it seems like such a far out request. But I have to remember, look at Paul in scripture, yeah. one who persecuted Christians, oversaw the murder of Christians, and yet God showed him uh, the light and brought him to salvation. And he was a, a great saint, a great uh, teacher for the Lord. And so, yeah, we do pray um, for the Hamas and for their conversion to Christ. A uh, thought came to mind regarding this need for praying, even for outrageously, even miraculous things to happen. But I remember this quote from John Newton, the famous hymn writer. He said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I love to pray for the outrageous, and we really would ask the Lord for him to step in. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Sigler, for, for sharing with us today. Thank you for your insights, and thank you for your work at Ariel Ministries, discipling and training believers, sharing the word with, with Jews and, and non-Jews alike. And so thank you for being on our podcast today. It was a privilege to have you. Hey, what a pleasure and privilege to be with you. And thank you for the work that you're doing to help people think biblically and discerningly in these trying times. Dr. Sigler, thanks again for all your work, your labors for this cause, and, and just for your, your prayerfulness, your ministry. I know you teach in various settings and, and equip and encourage believers in these, in, in these very topics that we're talking about today. So thanks for being on the podcast. And again, the, the final word as always goes to God and his word from 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul tells Timothy, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening.